time to thrive. Welcome to the Thrivology Podcast with Dr. Lee Bauckham. Join us as we explore ways that you can thrive in your life, regardless of what life throws at you. It's your life. Time to live it. Hey, this is Lee Balkum. Welcome to the Thrivology Podcast. This is the podcast designed to help you thrive, really, no matter what life throws your way. And it's kind of been my core principle that, you know, we, we need to find some direct, clear ways of taking on the tough stuff in life, because if there's one thing that's guaranteed, it's the tough stuff. That's the roots behind my books that are out now on thriving. One is Thrive Principles. If you're not familiar with that, you can check that out at thethriveprinciples.com. My more recent one is the immutable laws of living. And immutable laws of living is really about how we get stuck and how to get beyond that. If you're interested in that, you can find that at theimmutablelawsofliving.com. Or if you want to, you can visit my own spot, leebalkum.com. That's Lee, L-E-E, Balkum, B-A-U-C-O-M, leebalkum.com. You'll find links there to all of my books, including my work on marriages. Now today, uh, I'm, I want to talk a little bit about how you transform your life without kind of going in the weird zone. I had someone last week that was asking me for some help. We were coaching together about how he could build out his thriving life. He really felt like he was having a hard time and had been trying to find some ways of growing. And what he said to me is, please help me change my life, but I don't want any of that woo-woo stuff. And so I said, what do you, what do you mean by woo-woo? Because I know what I mean by woo-woo. And he said, you know, I keep, keep reading these things that are these way out ideas. And some of them are way, way out ideas about how people change and what I need to change. And, you know, I've come across all of these ideas and I just want something that's been proven to make a difference. Well, we, he and I had a nice long discussion about some things that really are completely non-woo-woo, that have lots of scientific data behind them. And I wanted to share that with you because what he didn't want was ideas around hypnosis or attraction. And, and I'm not saying that, that there isn't anything to hypnosis, but a lot of times in the kind of popular media, some of these things get really uh, taken to an extreme level. And he didn't want anything about how you attract wealth into your world or, or all these other things. And he didn't want these hacks that somehow had to do with oils or supplements or some other approach that was kind of for him out there and for him kind of woo-woo. Now, let me first be clear and say that a lot of these things uh, over the years have proven themselves to be useful. There are some ideas that started out as the fringe and have moved into the mainstream. The problem is, right now, there's not a lot of research for a whole lot of these ideas. So will they work? Well, maybe. Are they proven to work? Well, for the most part, no, not at all. And so what he wanted was to really find some clear ways of working through this. And here's the thing. You're not likely to do these things if you can't find one way to prove it. You know, if you're finding some way, if you, if you want to find some way that's, that's proven, that's going to hold your attention because you're going to start seeing results. A lot of times people start chasing these great new ideas that pop on the scene, whether it's in a book or a conference or some, some speaker somewhere, but they're hooks, right? And so we want to be serious today as we think about four different areas that have proven ways to transform your life. Now, let me be very clear. If you're finding help in the woo-woo world, and for you, it may not be a woo-woo thing, 
For somebody else, it might. But if you're finding help in that, I'm not going to dissuade you from that. It's not my task. My task today is to point out some benchmarks that we know make a difference that are not just benchmarks, but easy benchmarks. These are things that you could activate in your life, not next week, not in a month, not six months, not in a year, today. In the next hour, you can use some of these ideas and thoughts and really structures in order to move forward. If you've been listening to my podcast for a long time, today is probably not going to be a surprise to you. You're going to hear some things that will make a difference in your energy level, in your health, in your well-being, and that's the thing. If you are better off in your health, better off in your well-being, better off in your body's health, you're able to do more of the other things that I believe to be about thriving. If you want to make a big difference in the world, you better have a body that's going to carry you through the process of that. If you want to have a better relationship, you better be able to manage your energy better and find some other reserves there. It's not going to happen. If you want to be the best parent you can be, you're probably going to have to keep up with those active kids, right? You chase them down. And how do you do that? If you want to be coming forward in your job, you know, and people ask me all the time, you know, how do I make progress in my job? And we talk about how do you show up in your job? Because if you're going to your job and you're kind of sliding in at the last minute and, and by the end of the day, you know, you're out of gas, you're not likely to make a lot of progress. Think if you're like maybe a salesperson. If a salesperson goes out on a, a call with no energy, that's a little hard to get anything going. It's a little hard to uh, get some action towards them because there's nothing there. There's no energy source there. We end up being our energy source. And so we've got to find ways of really making sure that our energy is top-notch. So I want you today to think of these four categories we talk about as foundation, maybe fundamental to getting to where you want to be. Let me also caution you that these non-woo-woo ways, they're plain vanilla. They're designed to be plain vanilla. This is not exciting stuff. This is solid stuff. This is not out there stuff. This is easily done stuff. And sometimes what I've noticed is people aren't doing the easy ones. So let's pick the low-hanging fruit today. I want to talk about fueling your body, moving your body, resting your body, and exploring with your body as the four areas that you can start applying today and make progress today. So let's first talk about fuel. First, let me talk about how we often fuel our bodies. We grab whatever's closest to us and eat it. Now, our ancestors did the same thing. But our ancestors, when they reached out to grab something close to by to eat, it was probably a vegetable, piece of fruit, nut on the ground, something that was a bit less processed than we live with today. Part of what we live in is the convenience culture these days. In fact, that convenience is often so cheap that it's very tempting. Sometimes it's easy to go, well, I'll just run through the fast food drive-through and, and grab a meal for everybody, not realizing that almost everything that we're putting into our bodies when it's a fast food is a carbohydrate. Another way of saying carbohydrate is a sugar. And what that has done to our bodies is it gives us this constant up and down, the crash the rise in the crash that's caused by sugar. 
You know, there's a lot of debate as we look at kids, you know, they give them a little candy and they, they do their little happy dance, right, only to watch them crash and be grumpy in a while. And, and there's been some research that challenges how much of an effect that has, except we can see it in blood levels for adults and kids. When we eat carbohydrates, our blood sugar spikes, our body does a lot of work to burn off that sugar. And then it leaves us at a deficit that we have to then rebuild. So the fuel, the cheap fuel that we often burn is sugar-based, carbohydrate-based. Now, one of my experiences in my life happened a number of years back now uh, when I got sick. And a lot of people have said, oh, so you followed this plan and it made you healthy. And the fact is, no, that's not the case. I actually got very lucky. The illness I had, um, it sounds odd to say, but I had an acute version of an illness that when it's chronic would have led to disability and, and eventually probably would have killed me. But because I had the acute form, I just was really sick for a while and then got better. And after I got better, in hindsight, I went, what have I done to myself I'm overweight, out of energy, I haven't been exercising, I haven't been eating, I haven't been sleeping well, and I haven't been dealing with stress well. No wonder I got sick. Now, let me say, we are all going to head for illnesses, no matter what we do with our, our life. If I can take the best care of myself, you know how this ends up? Right. We all end at the same place. Right. And so it's not about this being a way of uh, staying away from ever having a problem. But it's minimizing the capacity of those problems, right? And so part of what I've been trying to do is rebuild my health since then. And one of the things I did along the way was to follow several different plans. And along the way, I kind of figured out what my body needed. And what my body needs may be very different from what you need. And so today, what I'm talking about in this fuel piece I think cuts across all body types and and all these other pieces that we can talk about how a diet affects you and talk about how we best fuel our system. And then you can find different ways of doing that. But one of the things that happened to me is I gave up sugar for a while, like completely gave up sugar. Anything that was white could be white. I gave it up as a part of one diet. I was trying to go with no simple carbs, things that almost instantly went to sugar almost instantly turned in our body to a sugar breakdown. So all sugar was out, all flour was out, and all rice and all white potatoes and lots of other things, right? When the effect of that was that my body immediately went into sugar withdrawal. If you look at the research, you'll see that sugar is highly addictive. It makes sense. If our ancestors craved sugary things, they would have gotten energy boost when that was available. The difference was that would not have been often available. Fruit, for instance, would have been rarely ripe. But when it was ripe, it would be a great time to gorge on that food to get ready for what comes after. You know, we get all that fruit in in the late summer, early fall, right before things turn cold. And so that would have given us a chance to really pack in some energy because here's what happens when sugar is in the blood system. It triggers the body to store and our body stores with fat cells. That's what our body does. So it takes any calorie it can and it packs it into those fat cells for the coming famine, which unfortunately, well, maybe fortunately, but these days doesn't happen on a regular basis. So most of us, and if you're listening to this podcast, this likely applies to you, 
are not likely to hit that place where you're suddenly in a famine situation. Now, we can mimic that, and I'll talk about that in a couple of minutes, but since we don't do that, our bodies end up being in a storage mode rather than going from storage to using the storage mode that our ancestors would have been doing. And so in the fall, the fruit would have been available, time to get in as much fruit as possible to get ready for the winter. And so the sugar was triggering the body to say, hey, let's store this. Let's take all the other calories you got and let's store it back because you're going to need it in a little while. And so that's what happens when we are constantly putting in sugar. So after I gave up sugar, it took me a while to break through. And I will tell you, I, I now eat more sugar than I did at that point. And, and it tends to be kind of in a cyclical manner. Um, for instance, when my kids are around, we tend to eat a little more ice cream and other fun treats. And when they're not around, I get back to uh, a less sugary place. But what I realize is if I start eating sugar, I start craving more sugar. And so when I broke through, what I realized was it, it, it tries to trick us. I would be talking with people in, sh- in sessions, thinking about cookies and all these other things, and pies. I don't even like pies. And those things would come to my mind because my body was trying to get me back to sugar. Simple thing for it to burn, right? So it really wanted to get that sugar back. So I started having conversations with people about that experience. And many people said, oh, I don't like sweets. I like salty things. And I would say, tell me about the salty things you're eating. And they would say, oh, you know, I eat potato chips and I eat popcorn. And and they would name lots of other snack foods. So guess what? Those salt, salty foods, it's just salt on top of sugar. All of the things they were naming simply break down to sugar in the body. So whether you like sweet things like candy and pie and ice cream and cookies and all those other things, or you like salty things like popcorn and chips and, uh, and, and you know, all kinds of other uh, kind of snacky stuff, it's all the same. It's all simple sugar. And then we begin to be aware of the fact that part of what has happened in our industrialized food world is that we are constantly getting bombarded with sugar. Which brings up the other place that we often get sugar, our drinks. We've moved to the place where many of us are on a regular basis drinking large amounts of pre-sweetened drinks. Whether you're from the South and the U.S. and you drink sweet tea or whether you're from somewhere else and it's just soft drink, soda or pop or whatever you call it in your area. And that automatically gets us into that very quick delivery. Or maybe you say, oh, no, no, I don't do that. I drink like a power drink. Well, look and see what the power drink carbohydrates are in there. It's sugar. Or you may say, oh, no, no, I I do something else. I drink juice. See, I'm like, it's like fruit. Except for you're taking a lot of fruit, squeezing out all of the sugar, and then putting it into a cup. That's what happens with juice. And so many of the drinks that we use trigger us into this sugar mode. So you may say, no, wait, I've given up on that. I've, I've done diet drinks. So the research now shows that when we drink a diet drink, the sweet flavor triggers our body to act as if it's getting sugar. So now we begin to see that as we step into this place, it's a little bit more complex. Or maybe you say, oh, no, you know what? I don't have that. I drink um, maybe a beer, right? And alcohol whether you drink it by beer or wine or some mixed drink, alcohol instantly becomes sugar in your body. That's how it processes through our system. 
now you begin to see how often we are bombarded by the sugar. So part of my challenge for myself has been to find ways of getting less processed sugar. And part of that means that I have to get away from how I often would have eaten. So while I might have every now and then sugar in my tea, I no longer put it in my coffee at all. And I haven't had a soft drink in quite a while. I realized that soft drink was a big place to get that sugar. And so if I could just get rid of that. And so my challenge for you is to begin to look at what you're putting into your system on a regular basis to fuel it. If we want to fuel our body well, we want to stay away from the simple carbohydrates. If you look on the back and you can see on the back imprint of whatever you're eating and you notice how high the sugar count is, you need to be aware of that. If you drink lots of soft drinks, my challenge to you for the number one thing you can do to start changing your health is to get rid of the soft drinks. Get rid of the juices, get rid of the Gatorades, Powerades, get rid of the power drinks, get rid of the super sweet Starbucks drinks, all those pieces, just to say, you know what, I'm going to make a switch. You don't have to do it forever. This doesn't have to be all or nothing. But when we, many people say, well, moderation is okay. Well, our body isn't about moderation of sugar. The amount of sugar we put into it, it's, there's not a moderate amount that our body is used to. Our body hasn't evolved to that point. So my belief is that one of the reasons that we have such a rampant uh, place of uh, type 2 diabetes and many other illnesses is because of how much sugar we're putting in. Number one target, make it your drinks. That's an easy one to change. You could switch to water or you could switch to a flavored seltzer water that doesn't have much sugar in it today. That could be an instant switch. At the same time, while you're at it, go ahead and, and see if you can lessen the amount of processed foods that you put in your body. I said lower. There's no reason for us to be chewing on twigs and grass all the time, but the amount of processed foods we put into our system is kind of amazing. You know, when you're grabbing, for instance, a protein bar, which really is a candy bar in disguise, or a candy bar, or uh, a frozen meal, or something like that, many of us are not aware of how processed that is. And the problem with the processed foods is twofold. One is, again, it strips it down to the place where it's down to a lot of sugar and a lot of sodium. But the other is it puts in a lot of other chemicals that are disruptors in our body. So the non-woo-woo way of getting ahead on fueling is immediately going with less sugar and less processed foods. If you turn over the ingredient list and there are a lot of things on there that you can't pronounce, it's time to put it back on the shelf and find something with just a few ingredients in it. Which also brings us to the other piece. So if you're not going to fuel your system with sugar, what are you going to fuel it with? Healthy fats. Now, what we have learned over the last few years is that the idea of healthy fat is a little different than we thought. A lot of people were grabbing for like corn, uh, corn oil or uh, some other of those vegetable oils, not realizing that they are doing damage to us. And so the healthy uh, fats end up being some that maybe we've disregarded over time. For instance, avocado is a great source of a healthy fat. Coconut oil, in moderation, is a healthy fat. Um, a lot of, uh, a big one is olive oil. If 
you can get more olive oil in your uh, diet, that's a great thing. But a lot of these uh, other oils that come uh, from non-vegetable sources are really excellent ways of getting your content of, of, fuel, uh, of fuel from your healthy fats. So you can also work on that. The other is to look into intermittent fasting. Now, intermittent fasting is simply taking breaks in when we eat because then our body actually gets to the place where it is ready for the next meal. A lot of us have gotten to this place where a rumbling stomach must mean it's time to put something else in it rather than recognizing that what's really going on is that uh, our body is naturally just still digesting. We haven't gotten past the digestion yet, and so it's still working on that. So when we work on an intermittent fasting, it often it's, simply, uh, it's as simple as eating in a smaller window each day. Remember, you're going to sleep right through some of your fast. So what would happen if you decided to only eat, say, between the hours of 10 in the morning and 6 at night? 10 in the morning, 6 at night is an 8-hour window of eating, which leaves your body 16 hours to not eat. So you'll notice that in that uh, eight-hour window, you can still get in breakfast, lunch, and dinner. But if you are eating early in the morning and you're eating late in the evening, your body never has quite a chance to get to uh, tapping into reserves. So very simple ways of fueling. Go for less sugar. Go for less processed foods. Go for healthier fats and look into intermittent fasting. A lot of people are afraid that if they're going to do intermittent fasting or fasting in some way, they're going to be without food for days. Sometimes all you're doing is adding a few hours or taking a few hours away from your eating window and adding more into a fasting period. Next is moving. This is really, a lot of people are like, oh, you're going to tell me to work out and exercise. Well, no, I'm going to tell you to move your body because our bodies are made to be in motion. And when they're not in motion, um, we are in a place where we realize that it's move it or use it or lose it. So move it or lose it is kind of the way to think about that. Use it or lose it. If your body realizes that you don't need some muscle mass, it's happy to let that muscle mass go because then it doesn't have to spend the energy to hold it up. The problem is over time, throughout our life, our body naturally moves in that direction. We are naturally losing body mass once we're into adulthood every single year if we do nothing to combat that. So if you want to have enough strength and capacity to do things later on in life, we have to stop the loss of muscle along the way. It's kind of an eye-opener when you realize that if you're out of your 20s, you're no longer really about building muscle. Now, you can expand the muscle cells that you have, but you're really not about building more muscle. You're not increasing the number of muscle cells in your body as much as you're trying to keep them from disappearing on you. And a lot of times, we wait too long. I know I did. Looking back, I realized how many years I was out of shape, way out of shape. Now I find myself probably in the best shape of my life. So at 52... I'm far more active than I was in my late 20s when I was in grad school, and I'm even far more active than I was even 10, 15 years ago. But that doesn't come overnight. We have to get back into the practice. And so my suggestion is if you do nothing in your exercise world right now, start small because small amounts matter because they allow you to build up. So an easy place to start is by walking. I'm not talking about walking for hours. 
But start with a five or 10 minute walk each day. And when that becomes easier, stretch it to 15 minutes. And if that becomes easier, 20 minutes. If you're doing 20 minutes of walking, you're getting a good amount, a good starting point, good platform. But we still need to add a little movement into our muscles, a little strain, because we all grow when we're exposed to stress, right? I mean, that's, that's true in my uh, Thrive principles is that it's the challenges that build us into strength. And that's true with our muscles too. They have to be challenged. If you want to build some muscle, if you want to make it stronger, what do you do? You lift something. But it's easy to say, yeah, I, I, I just can't do that. I, I don't have the time for that. So what if I were to tell you that there is significant proof that seven minutes of exercise can get you a long way towards getting into shape. Seven minutes. Let me ask you, do you believe that you have seven minutes? If you're doing no exercise now, can you spare seven minutes several times a week? There's a research project that uh, worked on what they call the seven-minute workout. Seven-minute workout. Total body workout in seven minutes of exercise. Is that doable? If not, you need to step back and ask, how much time am I giving up to other things instead of trying to keep my body going for as long as possible? The seven-minute workout, uh, you can find apps for your phone, for your tablet. You can uh, even find a chart online if you don't have that. Some of the apps on your phone will actually walk you right through each exercise. Some of them even have videos on them, but they give you the timing. So you, all you have to do is hit go and follow the directions and get in seven minutes a workout. Here's the thing. Most of us want to hold on to the muscle we have. And this is a starting point. Now, this doesn't have to be the end point. You know, I talk to a lot of people and they're like, oh, yeah, you can, you can tell me to exercise, but look at you. You know, you run and paddle and do jujitsu and do other things. Sure, but that's not where I started. I can tell you that when I first went to the gym, when I realized I was out of shape, 10 minutes was all I could do. 10 minutes left me completely winded and exhausted. But then I realized that 15 minutes I could handle. And then 20 minutes I could handle. And then I began to add on other things. We start a starting point. We find a starting point. We start there and expand from there. So allow that just simply walking five to 10 minutes, if you're not doing that, to be your beginning point. And then add in the seven-minute workout to be the way you begin to challenge that body and get it back. Because a lot of times we're trying to do two things at once. And this will do it. We're trying to lose some weight, right? And we're trying to hold on to the muscle that we have. We're trying to hold on to one part of the body while we allow the other part to go away. Now, there is significant proof that the best exercise in order to lose weight is not running or stair climbing or any cardio work. It's actually weights, picking up weights, lifting weights, or using your body as a weight. The difference between doing a curl with a kind of a barbell or doing a push-up, your body doesn't know the difference. Weight is weight. And that's a really cool thing about some of the workouts. You can do them at your home. You don't have to join a gym. You just have to follow along the app or expand from there, and, and it challenges your body. Because as you're building muscle, as you're making your muscles more effective, more efficient, and you're keeping them from disappearing, 
it burns more energy in your body, so your metabolism goes up, and the length of metabolism going being uh, raised is significantly higher for the weightlifting. Not only that, but there are some people that when they do a lot of cardio, their body begins to try to store extra calories to take on that cardio challenge that doesn't happen with weights. So one excellent way of dealing uh, with a challenge is by doing some weightlifting. Now, I will tell you, I do cardio stuff. I do paddleboarding and trail running because I love doing those things. It's not because I'm trying to get the cardio anymore. I'm actually trying to uh, have a good time. That's an enjoyment piece for me. And so if you enjoy going for a run, absolutely go for a run. If you enjoy a lot of the cardio pursuits, absolutely go. If you've got something that you're trying to train for, absolutely. But just be aware that cardio is tough on your body. And if you're trying for weight loss and to hold on to muscle mass, Lifting weights or body weight exercises are a great way of doing it, much more efficient and much more helpful than the cardio. Now, after you've fueled your body so you can go move, you have to rest, which is really about sleep. This is one of those things that I I find uh, we have a basic uh, lack of knowledge in our country. When I'm talking with people about their sleep habits, sometimes I'm concerned about what they're doing to their body. For instance, I've talked with people who felt like the best they could do is work 20 hours a day and get four hours of sleep, not knowing that they were trading off the lack of sleep for life. They're, they're trading that out because when we don't get enough sleep, our body is much more likely to break down. When we don't get enough sleep, we're much more likely to have bad things happen in our body, including heart disease and diabetes and all kinds of other long-term issues simply because our body didn't get rested enough. So if you have a hard time sleep, if you don't have a hard time sleeping, great. The way you can tell you don't have a hard time sleeping is that you go to bed and you fall asleep. And when you wake up, you feel rested. If you have a hard time falling asleep, a couple of things that I would suggest. One is dark. Go dark. Make your room as dark as you can make it. If you've got light sources, including uh, routers or other devices that are putting out light, go ahead and cover them up. Make sure that your room is as dark as possible. That allows your body's natural way of dealing. if, If it's all dark, it knows it's time to sleep because our ancestors had no light sources. When it was dark, it was time to go to sleep. And so our body is primed for that. The second thing is to make sure you have a routine. Whatever it is, make it your routine so that you get into a regular pattern of how you go to bed. One of the worst things that people can do is always vary their times they go to bed and the times they get up. You're much better off letting your body know that you're going to bed at X time and you're getting up at X time. And while in the beginning it may feel like it's not working for you if you're out of practice, over time it gets better and easier and your body gets more efficient and ready to go because it sees it's almost bedtime. So it gets into a natural pattern. So make sure you have a routine. Pick your bedtime. And the bedtime, you can calculate very easily. A lot of people ask me, how do, how do you figure out when to go to bed? Well, you figure out when you have to get up and you subtract eight hours from it. That should be your target bedtime. Most people require some t- somewhere between seven and nine hours of rest. 
If you can get by and wake up well-rested after seven hours, good for you. You can save an hour. If you need a little bit more, back it up a little further, but make sure that you're choosing your bedtime based on when you have to get up, not choosing your bedtime based on when you get tired and finally are falling asleep. you got to calculate based on how much rest your body needs, a basic core amount. Also, avoid stimulants, and there are two kinds of stimulants to avoid, food and the other one is media, right? A lot of times if people eat uh, sugar or caffeine uh, late into the afternoon, into the evening, they find themselves revved up when they go to bed. And so if that's the case for you, make sure that you cut out uh, those sources of stimulants um, earlier on. And that includes uh, lots of other things, ingredients that people put into their lives, whether it's uh, for recreational purposes or not. So just be careful of the stimulation you allow to come your way, including media. If you find yourself looking at your tablet or your phone or other devices all the way up until the moment you go to bed, you have been, unless you're using one of the filters, you've been absorbing blue light. And the blue light that's emitted from those devices is basically telling your brain it's daytime, it's time to be awake. So the first thing that happens is that we're getting this extra dose of blue light. The second thing is we're reading things that can often be upsetting, especially today. You know, if you've got... If you've got other uh, friends who maybe have a varying uh, belief system from you, whether it's religion or politics or something else, you're likely to get some uh, excitement into your system, a revved up uh, system as you're trying to go to bed. So to figure out how to manage that, I'll put it up to you, but I just raise it that you may want to back off your media use and uh, the food that may be stimulating uh, before you get to that place, which brings us to the last thing of breathing. If you're lying there trying to go to bed, trying to go to sleep, practice your belly breathing. I've got a link uh, in my show notes to my episode that's all about how to belly breathe, so you can learn to do that. If you don't know how to do that, I've got a link there, and you can just learn how to do that. Uh, It's a great way of of finding relaxation and calming yourself and dealing with anxiety that's coming your way. And with that, that leads us to what you're doing. You've already fueled your body so that you can move. Now you're resting from that, and the other is to explore. One of the most significant ways you can bring more satisfaction into your life is to be constantly learning. Always be learning, right? ABL, always be learning. We humans are built to be explorers. I mean, that's kind of how we took over the world, right? How we found new new places to be and how we found new challenges. And, and so if you're not in a process of learning, sometimes that can keep you feeling like you're missing out on something. Something's just wrong. So part of your challenge is to figure out how to make a shift. Be a learning person if you're not. Learn by reading, learn by exploring, learn by uh, meeting new people, traveling, learning about yourself, wherever it is that you find a passion. Make sure that you're learning. One of the significant ways that we have discovered that people have a greater sense of well-being is when they're learning more about themselves and the world around them that keeps them challenged. You're an exploring creature. It's in your DNA. If you're not exploring, there's something that's just back there saying, hey, what what are you doing? And so the last of those four pieces is to make sure you're always exploring. Find new things in your life. So those are the four non-woo-woo ways that you can get the biggest place of transformation in your life. 
fuel your body, move in new ways, rest that body after you've moved, and then use that to explore the world. This is Lee Balkum wishing you the best for a thriving life. listening to the Thriveology podcast. Thank you for listening. If you want more information, visit us at thriveology.com or at thriveologymagazine.com. Remember that Thriveology is spelled T H R I V E O L O G Y. It's your life. Time to live it. Uh-huh.